Fire Tribe, where you at? I hope you're ready, rising from the ashes and it's getting heavy Conspiracies, we got plenty and some are scary From aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary, yeah, yeah Danunaki Dan and the homie Romy I was bugging out, all the crazy things he showed me Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies Always a good time, vibing with the fire tribe Hey, So wake up, wake up, get it cracking Rise out the ashes, I know you got a passion Kick off the combo with theories, many conspiracies Other dimensions, plenty ancient history Fire tribe, where you at? Wake up we about to get into it I know you can't get enough At home, at work It don't matter, turn it up Rising from the ashes You know what's up Hey, uh, Rising from the ashes Hello everybody and welcome to Rising From the ashes I'm Danunaki Dan And I am the homie Romy What is good what? brother? Yeah, what's good? How are are you enjoying Tartary Month, Roman? Man, it is going uh going swell and well. We are doing a lot of interviews and we're just we're going deep on Tartaria. I hope everybody else is enjoying it. Yeah, man. You know, it's crazy. Like after we do some of these shows and I sit around and think about stuff or while we're talking to other people, I'm like, oh, I could I should have hit up that person and I should have hit up that person. And there's this other aspect that we could probably get in there too. And I'm like, damn it. We're going to have to do a second Tartaria month, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe in, uh, in the first couple months of 2022, huh? Yeah. I'm building a list and I'm checking it twice. I'm going to find out who's Tartaria or nice. Well, when we're, you know, we're talking about deep erased hits history and forgotten history, it's, you know, it's an endless stream of, uh, of continuous research and topic and debate and creativity. So fuck yeah, dude, man. we could just keep on going. Yeah. And we might have to, um, I do want to get into other stuff on the show besides Tartaria, but I like dedicating a month to it, uh, just because there's so many different aspects that we can get into, we can still have a variety of guests that aren't all Tartarian and, uh, and, and still, you know, thread out some answers, I think. So it's good. It's fun, man. And, and there's a couple other shows out there doing it right now to the great deception podcast. Shout out to those guys. Shout out to legit bat podcast. They've had a couple great shows on Tartaria this month also. Uh, so check those ones out and then uh, shout out to shadow band podcast too. Um, they've, they've been d digging in. And so, uh, it's, you know, we are talking about phases and, and stuff and how things kind of connect and everything unexpectedly, you know, and we weren't really planning on doing a Tartaria month. It just happened that all the guests have some aspect of it that we could talk about. And then uh, these guys, I don't know that they were planning on talking Tartaria either, but they, they're they busting out mud flood stuff and world fairs and everything. So, I mean, it's, it's cool. Um, and uh, Legit Bat and the Great Deception podcast will be on the group show on December 3rd. So... That's going to be fun, as well as Mark from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. So we are, there's three right there. I'm telling you guys about three. Let's see who else we got. Let's give them, let's give them two more. 
Two more. Uh, are we going to have Andy? Yeah, we got Andy Rouse from the Deep Share. Uh, what about the ghost? And the ghost of Tartaria, oh. Randy. Randall. It's going to be big. Yeah, so we already got those people for you. We got about 10, 10 people total, so it's going to be a pretty great show. We actually have one surprise guest that we're going to save until the end. We're not going to even tell the other people on the group podcast about it until that person is there and Mystery. surprise them all. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it, man. Let's get into some R F T motherfucking A A news. News you can trust. Without some lust. All love, baby. All love. <laughs> Um, so I thought I would do something different and I don't know, I was just looking up birds and meanings behind different animals. And, um, I was watching some Tartarian videos about, uh, these old electrical poles that they had, oh. uh, and they were like taking them down. Right. And it was, you know, were they taking them down, putting them up? It's always the question in these, in these photos. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have like these bars and they have these little like bird looking things. And so um, since Tartaria was known as like being in, in Russia and Asia and China and all these things, um, this video suggested that I, I look up uh, Asian symbolism of the swallow. Um, suggesting that I might find something. And I really didn't because there's not a lot of like Japanese or uh, Chinese uh, symbolism I could find on the swallow, but I did find some. So let's get into a little bit. Are you familiar with the swallow bird? Yeah, it's on lots of tattoos. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the classic uh, um, American Sailor traditional. Jerry. Sailor yep. Jerry, yeah. Traditional exactly. style. <laughs> yeah, they carry um, the banners and the stuff. Yeah, you know. yeah, and that's a lot of their. That's a, actually ties into a lot of their meaning. So, oh, does it? Yeah. So let's see. Let's go. Um, in general, swallow symbolism is saying that you need to let go of past hurts. In other mm. words, when the spirit animal flies into your life, it asks you to pull out all the negative experiences behind you and swiftly move forward. And moreover, this bird tells you to live in the moment and to create happy, long-lasting memories, like the moth and the mongoose, the swallow, meaning encouragement you to break out of your comfort zone. Furthermore, in Africa, swallow symbolism represents fertility. If you have recently encountered this spirit animal, it might be a sign that a child will soon be born into your family. Also, this bird asks you to cultivate an abundance mindset and to be more optimistic. Additionally, this spirit animal symbolizes peace. Therefore, this bird urges you to live in harmony with yourself, others, and nature. Occasionally, the presence of this bird means that you'll be free and you should free yourself of expectations from other people like the butterfly and the springbok. This power animal is also a symbol of pure joy. 
Among the most popular recipients of this traditional bird would be the sailors. Before the days of advanced navigation systems, sailors would only know they were near land once they spotted swallows in the skies. This transpired into the tattoo meaning of a safe return to home. They would also mark certain sailing accomplishments with a swallow, such as traveling over 5,000 nautical miles, sailing all the seven seas or crossing the equator, and sailing around the horns, which is the bottom of Africa and South America. And a bit more on the morbid yet spiritual side, it was believed that the swallows would carry a drowned sailor's soul from the depths of the ocean up to heaven. To honor a fallen comrade, a swallow with a dagger through its breast would often be depicted of that. For the lover, swallows will choose only one mate and remain true for them for life. So they're often a representation of finding true love or loyalty. For the fighter, men would often get swallows tattooed on the backs of their hands to show they're quick and strong and ruthless fighters. In some cultures, the swallow is a symbol of rebirth and positive change, which is something nearly all human beings experience at some point in their life. It's a way to mark the passage through the tough times, a promise of better ones ahead. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what I got for the swallow, my man. It's a, a lot of uh, regenerative change, fertility, love, and abundance. Abundance. Awesome, man. I'm here on Gaia Legacy website, and um, they're talking about ley lines. And most people know what ley lines are, and uh, the descriptions of the ley lines are pretty boring, to be honest with you. And there's a lot of it, (laughs) a lot of talky-talky and a lot of boring-boring. So I'm going to just highlight some interesting things, which is... The 12 ley line places, these are the 12 central main power places or ley places located at the main intersections of the five ley waves with five of the 12 laying below sea level. Any guesses on where a couple of those are? Hmm, below sea level. Um, Not Not the sea ones, but the other ley lines. The intersections. Uh, we definitely have one huge one in California. I know. Shasta. Yeah, Shasta. Um, yes. I'm going to say definitely uh, in Egypt. Giza, yes. In Giza. I'm going to say mm, mm, there's got to be one somewhere up in Russia. I, uh, I don't see one. What about um, somewhere up uh, Helsinki in the northern lands up there? I also do not see one. Um, let me get. But let me get those one more. those could be ones under the sea level. Um, they don't actually describe what those places are. Um, they just kind of say a word. So you hit uh, Egypt. You hit Shasta. Um, some other ones would be Accor. Sete Citades, which is in the Azores, Portugal, which is a hot topic of Atlantis. Oh, um, the other one is Nautilus, which it just says undersea level. Another one is Cyan Shan, China, S I A N, comma X I A N. Uh, 
so I'm pretty sure I said that wrong. So just check that <laughs> what, out. What part of China is that? Like north, south? Yeah, I'm not sure where Cyan Cheyenne is. So I'll have to look that one up. Okay, okay. Uh, another one is called Uluru Ayers Rock, Australia. Oh no, shit! Ninogi, which is under sea level. Waramo, which is under sea level. Vugi, which is under sea level. Uh, Magimi, which is France Polynesian. And the other two are the South Pole and the North Pole. Yes, 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 yes. Um, they also have eight Merkaba places. The connections of six of the main power places with the North and South Poles produce the shape of the Merkaba or the Merkaba. The star tetrahedron from the holy geometry of the creation and the platonic bodies. These are the eight Merkaba places on Earth because connected they show the form of the Merkaba inside Gaia, an asterisk tetrahedron formed out of two triangle pyramids inside of each other. Tetrahedron form of the sacred geometry. So there's eight of them. One is the North Pole. Number two is Kale, Hawaii. Uh, the other one is Sete Citades, the Azores, Portugal, which also has one of the key ley line places. Ooh. Um, Tak La Tak La Macan, China. Rapa Nui, Easter Island, Chile. Ooh. Yeah. Madagascar. Madagascar. Ovalau. 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 Viti, Levu, Fiji. And number eight is the South Pole. So. That kind of ties into. Um... Uh, Michelle's work, right? Because she yeah. started out drawing uh, or, or connecting the the ley lines uh, and energy centers. Yeah, to the uh, flower of life, right? Yes. So that, oh, dude, all that is so amazing. And that should open people's eyes to understanding that there's, you know, synergy and, and symbolism behind the, uh, you know, the places that we go and we're naturally attuned to, and it has to do with the, the deep vibration of the, of the earth. Yeah, man. I'm going to do one more here, which is the seven, 14 chakra places. I'm not sure if this means seven of the 14 or if it means seven 14th. I think it means seven of the 14 are main and the seven corresponding places, uh, the other ones are different, but I'll, I'll just read the whole thing and, and we can go from there. It says the seven, 14 chakra places, the connection of the seven main and seven corresponding points make up the 14 chakra places, which will be described comprehensively in the following chapters. Gaia has seven main and seven corresponding chakras that receive bipolar energy from the cosmos and allow it to flow along the energy pathways through the system of Mother Earth's body and discharge it again. Each of these terrestrial chakras, 
therefore radiates a large amount of energy and corresponds to one of the specific vibration spectra and the energy arising from it. Of the following 14 chakra places, five lie on main intersection points, five on simple intersections, and four a short way away from an intersection. This is because the continental plates have shifted and the outer points of the chakra places with the structures on them have moved with them. Thus, Hawaii, for example, does not lay on a ley line intersection because the maps cannot precisely represent a three-dimensional view of the globe or earlier position of the continents. This is also true of Mount Kailash, Lords, Olia. Oh, man. I know this word and I can't say it. Olente Taitambo and Tiwanako, which all have special functions. 12 plus 2 equals 14. But we recognize the configuration. The, the, the validity of the places does not depend on the locations of the megalithic complexes, which were not built until between 8,000 and 12,000 years ago but on the energies and vibrations that flow through the ley line intersections. The energy flows have a diameter of about 100 kilometers, so usually the displaced locations still receive flow, which is amplified by the complexes built on them. These are the seven main and seven corresponding power places on Earth. They were called also chakra places because they're placed on the energy grid and intersurfaces of Gaia. The seven main power places are Giza in Egypt, Kailash in Tibet, China, Shasta in USA, uh, California, Kalia, uh, Hawaii, USA, or it's K-A-L-E-A. -E How do you say that? That would be Kalea. Kalea. Olente Tambo, Peru. Stonehenge in England. Megimi, Murora, French Polynesia. And the seven corresponding power places are Rapa Nui, Easter Island, Chile. Tiwanaku in Bolivia. Ovalau, Viti Levu, Fiji. Isabella, Galapagos, Ecuador. Sete Citades, Sao Miguel, Portugal, Arudi Lords, France, and Taklamakan in uh, Xinjiang, China. So yeah. I just want to reiterate too, Kalea is actually South Point on the Big Island. Oh, is it? Yes. Interesting. Um, yes. Uh, or my and experience was. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense because I've always heard that South Point was a was a ley line uh, energy hotspot. Yeah. So I was like, oh, Kalea. I was like, I've never heard of that. Where is that? And I just looked it up. And yeah, so South Point. Wow. That is that is amazing. Yeah, that's some pretty interesting stuff right there. That's the first time I looked at that and saw anything like that too. And it corresponds to some of Michelle's work. So that's perfect. It fits right in, man. I couldn't couldn't have planned it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know? The energy of the earth did it for you, my brother. Yeah, man. Led me right to it. Well, 
That's it for RFTA news. Today on the show, we have Michelle Gibson. I She needs no introduction. Everybody knows Michelle Gibson. She is the famous, famous lady that we all go to for Tartaria. She has uh, great work involving Tartaria, and she covers multiple things in the subject. And uh, she's a uh, she's a great person and fun to talk to, and uh, it was great. How do you feel, Roman? Oh, you like I it? like I said at the end of the show when we after the podcast, I was like, "Oh, I'm such a giddy, giddy young lad." It's <laughs> <laughs> like we'll get some dreams that came true. So, um, yeah, you guys like we give you links where you can check out her work if you haven't. Um, she's always making new YouTube videos that are relevant to some some crazy deep research and so this is a great great one i'm I'm really stoked yeah she answers a lot of fans questions on youtube also and then we'll be like look here here's what i was talking about or oh you have questions about this well let me do some research and find it and i'll put it on a youtube video for you so and then other people will send her information about stuff and She'll make videos about that too. So she's uh, involving the people into her research, which I think is amazing and awesome because it gives us a deeper connection to her and what she's doing. And uh, I mean, can't beat that, man. Absolutely. So here we go. Michelle Gibson. Michelle Gibson. Tartaria. Ley lines. Everything you need. Wake the fuck up. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning into today's show. We are rising from the ashes. And we, as the fire tribe, will rise. Awaken our eyes. Beyond what is seemingly laid upon us, we can extend our consciousness to the further ends of our cosmic understanding. If you enjoy our show and you like the content that we create, make sure to like, subscribe, share with your friends. Hello, everybody. Yes, please, please, please do. Also follow us on Instagram at RFTA Podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, you can email us at risingftashes at yahoo.com. We are exclusively on Alt Media United. Check it out, altmediaunited.com forward slash rising.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rising from the Ashes. I'm Danny Naki Dan. And I am the homie Romy. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. What we got going on, Roman? Um, very excited today. Um, we to join us in our Tartaria breakdown month, we have Michelle Gibson, um, an amazing researcher, um, amazing human connector of the ley line dots and much more. Um, about to peel some caps back. Hello, Michelle. Hi, how are you? Yeah. How are you doing? And how's everybody doing tonight? It's great Good. to be here. Thank you. Uh, we're, we're happy to have you here. Uh, we're going deep into Tartaria all month, and we have different guests with different aspects that kind of bring us into this Tartaria realm, you know, like energy and ley lines and crystals and stuff that doesn't necessarily have the Tartaria definitive topic in it, but it has inklings of aspects of Tartaria. So you're going to be one of our main Tartaria, Tartaria people to talk to us about ley lines and uh these uh the moorish freemasonry and uh other geomagic magic patterns and such and maybe we can even get into a little mud flood stuff and that's not where i started (laughs) (laughs) you didn't start as soon as i learned about it i didn't but as soon as somebody connected me to it it's like we're looking at the same things and ever since it's it's really the only thing that makes sense about how we got to where we are today well why don't you give us a little intro about uh where did you start how did you get into researching these topics what brought you into it and all that good stuff i'll go a little bit into the distant past in my life and then i'll i'll pick up where my original research started which was in 2016 but um i grew up in Rockville, Maryland, Rockville. And I I emphasize that because rocks and stones and city names and city places and features, it's all telling us something. Uh, But we don't pay any attention to it because, you know, why should we? We don't know anything other than what we've been taught, um, especially with a very controlled narrative. So I didn't think anything of it when I was growing up. What I do remember is being about seven years old and being bored with watching my dad's softball practice and going down into the woods and finding really big stones and, you know, playing around there. And uh, years later, when I look back on it, I, you know, I think they were megalithic stones and I grew up right next to a golf course. And I, one of my first ha-has was seeing golf courses as a cover-up of mound sites. I mean, all you have to do is dig a sand trap out the top and you've got (laughs) a a, a sacred mound site and you've got a golf course. Um, So that was an early uh aha. But I think I've always been kind of attuned to anomalies, even though I wasn't really conscious of, of it necessarily, but just things that I would notice along the way. And I guess with the coming of the internet was when I you know, started to be able to watch alternative media. And I think that's probably true for all of us. There were a few books available like Fingerprints of the Gods by Graham Hancock. 
And I read that around 2006. That was talking about the the lost civilization or the missing civilization. Um, and some other researchers, Robert Boval talking about the uh, the pyramids of Giza lining up to the belt stars of Orion. Uh, well, yeah, the pyramid code DVDs. Uh, the pyramid it's, code it's, show. It's along those lines. Yeah, it's absolutely along those lines. So I'm I'm starting to encounter information like that, absorbing it, um, watching megalithomania conferences where Earth Energy researchers came and gave their presentations about following ley lines and what they were finding when they were doing that and. You know, I'm just soaking all this stuff up because I was really curious and wanted to understand what was going on here. Um, when I was stationed in Augsburg, Germany in the 80s, this is like around 80, I think 83 was when I first got there. I picked up an encyclopedia of archaeology and the Stars and Stripes uh, picture of Machu Picchu on the cover and and so I think it was around that time that I really started getting interested in the megalithic stuff. And I really didn't get a chance to travel to some of the places in the book like I really wanted to, but it was still in my consciousness, you know, big megalithic stones and you can't slide a piece of paper in between them. They're so perfectly yeah. put together. And that, I mean, that just really got my attention. And that was when I was like 19, 20, and I'm 58 now. So uh, I, I, I'm making the point that i had a lifelong interest in this and that was where my my interest went to and i loved watching in search of with uh, leonard nimoy and unsolved mysteries mm -hmm. with robert stack and there's a lot of good information arthur c clark's mysterious world so you know again from a young age i that's what i wanted to watch and i stopped watching television i think when i was around the same time i went into the army so I was probably like a, a normal youngster growing up in terms of my volume of TV watching. Um, now I, I don't. <laughs> you don't watch TV at all, huh? No interest in it whatsoever. Okay. Um, and television programming, mainstream stuff. Well, I'm going to bring up a movie pretty soon right after, right after you finish. <laughs> okay. So um, basically, I, I've lived in a lot of different places. And I moved from Fairbanks, Alaska in 2012 to help my brother with my mom in Oklahoma. And that was um, when I really, really started to wake up to all of this stuff. And it was in Oklahoma that I made the acquaintance of a, a Moorish man. And I didn't know anything about the Moors before I met my friend Osiris. And he validated a lot of the stuff that I was seeing. And he showed me, you know, he's a beautiful person. And so um, the mores that I know and I've met are, are in a higher consciousness. And um, you know, a deep sense of love and, you know, awareness of who we are in the universe. And so whenever I, I said something that triggered him, and I didn't, you know, I didn't mean to, but I, there was a learning curve here because <laughs> there's a bit of a cultural difference. He would send me information about Moors and Moorish teachers. And so I started to, to learn and I was open to it. And there were pieces that came together when I got those pieces of the puzzle that, that explained everything. So instead of, you know, looking at all of this amazing stuff all over the world and saying how they do that, I had a paradigm that I could work with 
to explain Mm -hmm. how they did that and how everything is all in balance and harmony. And and that's where sacred geometry Mm -hmm. geometry comes in. You know, most people know that certain places around the world align with, you know, star systems, like the example of the pyramids of Giza, but you find that with ancient um, megalithic structures that align with the Pleiades and um, equinoxes and, and things like that. Well, that was a worldwide phenomena on up until the present day. And I've got pictures of lighthouses that have alignments with the full moon. Uh, the Taj Mahal does. Um, same thing with solstices. Um, the Statue of Liberty does. <laughs> state Capitol buildings do. The Empire State Building does. I mean, everything was just perfectly aligned. And... Um, and so my research has taken me in that direction as well as others to establish why I believe that, that there was an ancient advanced civilization that was harmonious all over the world. But it's also taken me down the road to show how we got to where we are today Excellent. and how this was accomplished. You know, some things that my research have led me to that that I've been able to provide at least a plausible explanation as to how this whole original positive timeline could have been hijacked and taken over and um, beings that came in that don't have our best interest at heart, you know, to put us in, you know, in a control system, you know, which is basically what they, what the direction we were going in, (laughs) but I, I, I'm optimistic. Um, who, what or who are moors for the people that may not know what that term means? Give us more on the moors. Give you more on the moors. Yeah. Moors, the word moor originates in Mu or Lemuria. So they're called mm-hmm. the ancient ones. And it's M-U apostrophe U-R. Um, it's come to us as M-O-O-R. Mm-hmm. And we hear about the, the moors in Spain. So in our historical narrative, they've got 700 years in Spain, which is pretty cool because if I'm looking for examples of Moorish architecture to compare with other places, I can go to Spain and say, here, look, mm-hmm. this, this place looks just like this place in, in St. in uh, Kansas city <laughs> or, yeah. you know, it's, it's Moorish architecture. Um, but most people know that about the Moors from Spain and, um, and in 1492 was the fall of the Moors, and that was when we got Ferdinand and Isabella, and a lot of new stuff happening on the timeline, and um, and that leads into a time loop proposal that I've made is that there was a a 3D time loop that was inserted between 1492 and 1942, and 1717 is the exact midpoint year. And there's a lot of stuff going on at that time in our history and what we've been taught. Mm-hmm. So um, I've done research, a lot of timeline research, um, which has a lot interesting things have come out. A lot of anomalous things have come out doing that. Yeah. And do you know the timeline of, of the Moors? So like they came from Lumeria and where did they go from Lumeria? Okay, so what I'm what I believe is that the original civilization 
dated back to ancient Mu, was also Atlantis and existed up until the present day all over the world. So Tartaria was one of the empires, one of the Moorish empires, as well as another, you know, numerous other empires. Um, but they weren't at odds with each other. They were, they were connected together. Okay. And it, it really gets confusing because of what we've been taught <laughs> about what our, what our history is. So when you try to yeah. put the Moors together with the tribes of Israel and, you know, that, you know, Islam is not what we are taught to believe it is. It's, it's, it was actually more about inner work <laughs> and not yeah. mm-hmm. radical Islam, which is a corruption of what it was. It's um, all it about was, inner but, work, really, isn't it? Yeah. So it all goes back to the Moors, but it's like everything that we've gotten has been, you know, taken from their original legacy and, and actually divided us instead of unified us. So, so you think that the Moors and the Atlanteans are one in the same, that there wasn't a separate thing? Right. Uh, so, okay. So from my knowledge right now, I would say that Lemuria or Mu was in the Pacific and Atlantis was in the Atlantic. And there are two different places. But you right. believe that there are just one place or was it America? Yep. It was, it was all over the world. Okay, and but, and I would have said the same thing as you did a couple of years ago. Okay, because that's what I learned. Right. <laughs> see, see, seemingly like just from a, from the standpoint of of this, a quick visualization, you'd say like Pacific is the Mu Lemurians into like either the eastern part of Russia and China Asia into the uh, Americas, and then the mm-hmm. Atlantic side would be. You know, the Atlanteans up in the north, the north people, uh-huh. and then over and where Europe would be down into parts Africa, of Africa and that would South yeah. America and America mm-hmm. and Mexico. Yeah. Almost like really, a, a I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say, and when you really, <laughs> really start looking at the nitty gritty <laughs> and that's Ooh, and I'll love and that. I'll and I'll get into my my particular research here in just a second, and ha- that's the second part of your first question. You know, how how did I get into doing this? Yeah, um, is <laughs> is that it's like there's an Asian expression of this civilization, and that would be Tartaria, mm-hmm. and there's a, a Western expression of the same civilization. Okay. And that it was worldwide. So maybe a continent sunk in the Pacific and maybe a continent sunk in the Atlantic. You know, I have no doubt that there is, there's a truth in there. But what I'm seeing is that this civilization, this Atlantean civilization was, was worldwide, Mm -hmm. but it was all part of this original civilization that would, would be called Moorish. And the ones that have been the most persecuted by those that did this are, are the Moors or the ancient humans, you know, um, yes. with advanced abilities. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of genocide, a lot, a lot of genocide. I've done research on that also that we don't ever hear about, but, you know, with civil wars, you know, people killing each other. Um, yeah. But it's you know it's kind of a manipulated situation 
I'm absolutely not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just it, the genocide is off the charts, but but the ones that have got had the most oppression are these people. I mean, so they don't even know the heritage. Mm-hmm. You know, so we've got the whole, you know, division of humanity by race and you know, if you're black, you're from Africa mm-hmm. and you get the slave narrative yeah. to go along with that. And, you know, any black person anywhere in the world arrived there by slavery, you know, as opposed to the aboriginal people. And you can think of people that are called aborigines, like those in Australia, the aboriginal people of the earth were melanated people. Yeah. And so, and, and it, you know, we've lost so much because of what we've been taught. Mm-hmm. Um, our history is that, that we, it's really hard to say these things yeah. <laughs> because people don't have that concept. They're, that, they're attached. They're attached to it because it's, it's literally been shoved down our throats through social engineering yeah. for the past, you know, decade or so. But, but we're all the same. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, you know, yes. Some people have more melanin, okay? You know, yeah. <laughs> um, that, and so yeah, that's what I was going to ask: is <laughs> is there an ethnicity associated with the Moors, or can they be Native American also, and also right. Spanish, and also like Middle Eastern, uh, or is it something that's related to an ethnicity? Just for clarity, I don't think it. More like, see, that's why it's a difficult thing. It's tough. It's tough. I mean, yeah. no, I mean, not, not it, as it, we know it, not okay. as we know it and understand it. Um, because the Moors talk about their nationality having been just obliterated. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and just again, really just pushed down so far, you know, the, the trauma of the whole experience to divide humanity has been so deep it's you know we have to come back together and we have to come back together because Mm -hmm. the people that are behind this benefit are the only ones benefiting Mm -hmm. from the current situation Mm -hmm. they want us divided they want us fighting each other they want us hating each other they want us killing each other and that doesn't benefit humanity that benefits the the elite you know, the bloodline families, the 1%, um, yeah. you know, the, the ones behind the reset. And I'll talk about that too, but uh, be, let me go into my own research and you'll yeah. get a, a better idea of how I got here. Perfect. So um, I'm going to, if I can share my screen, you can. It's all yes. set up. This Sorry, is everybody. Audio. Audio only <laughs> podcast. We don't do video, but you oh, will you be don't. sharing. We, you will be sharing with us. So, okay. Um, so let me. Um, we appreciate. I, I, right now, I'm disabled. So. <laughs> oh, you got to enable. Oh, how do I? Oh, but don't worry, everybody. We will relish in the goodness, and uh, <laughs> no, we might share a couple things. You know, is, we might keep it esoteric. Who knows? Did I did I fix it? Okay, let me check. I'm not a zoomer. You did. All right. Yay. <laughs> okay. So this will give you a better idea of at least how I got here. <laughs> um, just wanted to see where I am here. Okay. So 
this is where my research started. Oh, interesting. And um, my wow, that is a screenshot of my poor ratty map. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna describe this right now. It's a it's a map of the United States, Mexico, and Canada. And what you see is the, the inverted triangle and the regular triangle kind of overlaid on top of uh, America. And uh, the corner points would be in Canada, the ocean, Gulf of Mexico, and uh, towards like Maine and uh, stuff. So you're describing uh, what's called a star tetrahedron. Okay. A sacred geometric shape, and it's also better known as the Star of David. Yes. And um, the top point's in Edmonton, Alberta, and the bottom point is in Merida, Mexico. What's that say down there? Chichen Itza. Oh, Chichen Itza. There's a big ceremonial site there and observatory. And a lot of ancient ruins there. This and should be a T-shirt that uh, <laughs> I would gladly buy this and support Michelle Gibson's work with this T-shirt. This is amazing. I'll have to put that on my list of things to look into. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the suggestion. Like, That's cool. So, so this was my original finding. And okay. what um, what happened was when I got to Oklahoma, um, I started traveling around with friends of mine. And. I wasn't awake to this yet, but I was awake to sacred sites and unity consciousness. And I knew about sacred geometry by that time. So when I moved to Oklahoma in 2012, um, I wanted to go see a lot of these places. And it was in Oklahoma that I really started to wake up to this ancient civilization. And one of my travel friends gave me a map. And she said, I think you need this. And I'm like, oh, not why. But I stuck it on my dining room table and I was eating and I look at it and I started to notice cities lining up in lines. And so um, I've got some faint lines on the map uh, connecting like between New Orleans and Mobile and Montgomery and Atlanta on up um, is one of them. Sorry, my eyes are not that great. Um, San Antonio, Shreveport, Memphis, Nashville, Louisville, Cincinnati, Columbus, all lining up. And then I noticed up at the top where Edmonton is, and that's actually the first line that I found, I, I noticed those cities lining up. And so Edmonton goes down to Ottawa. That's the first leg of the first triangle. And then I found cities in alignment um, down that way through Toronto, Detroit, Indianapolis, St. Louis, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Lubbock, El Paso, Hermosillo. Then it goes into the ocean. Um, Because I knew about sacred geometry, I took the line back up to Edmonton. And then because I knew the proportions, I was able to find the other triangle with the point down in Merida. And from there, I extended the lines out and I wrote down the places that were lining up in lines. And so I've got like 19 spreadsheets of places in alignment that I followed. And so that was starting back in 2016, which is when I did the original work on this. I did, I, I, I started looking at pictures 
and noticing everything was the same. When I was following these alignments, you know, in different places, in very different places, I was seeing similar characteristics and pyramids and, and things like that. Um, and at the time I was like, how am I going to show people what I'm seeing? Because I, I sensed that it was really important. And, um, so I found linear alignments, long distance alignments of cities around the world, plus others as well. And I think this is the terminus of the Earth's grid system. And it's not the most scientific method, you know, in the sense that I probably could have spent a bunch of money and gotten a computer program to help me with this. But I thought, you know, if I did that, I might not be able to figure out how to use it. And so basically, I I eyeballed it, <laughs> but I got a lot of information in return yeah. and it, it kind of laid out the story of this original civilization and it also laid out what's taken place. Uh, can I ask you another question? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you done this with other continents perhaps or any oh, other? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so does, is it the same pattern or is it different patterns? Well, um, I haven't done this specifically, but what what I've what I did was I I extended the lines out. Oh, okay. And um, I wrote down the places that lined up, and oh, you know I found circles and I found lines, and so what I've extrapolated from that is that this civilization was laid out in sacred geometry on a flower of life pattern. If you're familiar with what so that there is. you go when I was. Speaking to you earlier, the the pattern that I was uh, trying to recall was that flower of life pattern. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's how everything was laid out. And I think that's where the 12 tribes of Israel come in. Because okay. I think, you know, that every, from what I'm seeing is that every piece of infrastructure on the earth pre-reset was in a very specific place oriented in a specific direction. Um, I've done work on why I think the earth is a circuit board, you know, that all Mm -hmm. of this infrastructure was interconnected. And when I talk about humanity being in higher consciousness, you know, much higher level um, with a very sophisticated civilization um, that comes up to almost the present day. So something happened to disrupt this and i think that's where the mud flood comes in um and that it's been reverse engineered into both a control system and then something that a lot of people have gotten very wealthy off of without telling us about its existence and so it's it's highly problematic to have removed knowledge of the earth's grid system and how it works and functions from the general public and keep that knowledge to just a few people. And I think that's where secret societies come in and, you know, certain powerful families that we all know and love. (laughs) Um, Are there, are there uh, specific sites that line up to the conjunctions of these lines? Like where these lines cross, is there a certain uh, Stonehenge? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's all in there. Um, okay. The the information, the 
following these alignments and looking at these specific places that I would have absolutely no reason to look at <laughs> for you know any other reason has has really brought forth a lot of information. You find star forts. Um, I, I find star forts all over these alignments. And I think they were part of the Earth's original circuitry of this grid system. Um, you know, buildings that we take for granted, we don't even think about it. Courthouses and mm-hmm. museums and libraries that look like palaces <laughs> yeah. or temples that you would mm-hmm. see in Rome. You know, what we were taught about Rome. Or even if you do see pictures of Atlanta, Atlantis, you see these temples at the bottom of the ocean yeah, and we're, we're surrounded by them and they have these ludicrous stories to explain how they, how they got there. Every building has a story, but especially in North America, it was said to have been built in the 19th, early 20th centuries. So at the same time, they're telling us they're building these monumental buildings you know, we're barely into the automobile in the early 1900s. Um, we're not supposed to have had the technology to be able to do it. But again, we accept it because we have no other explanation. And and that's how they've gotten away from it. Yeah, just bef- so before, before just the 1900s or, you know, before 1850, when the supposed last month flood had happened, a time between 18. 18- 30 and through the end of the 1800s um it was just it was axes and everything was made of uh wood and there was some you know masonry involved but it was you know done locally and so on and so forth and there there would be no massive architecture um do because it was in like a and just not not widespread at least you know and all of these people either not not enough people it's just it's it's obviously very 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 obviously construed. Just if you logically even try to look at it or think about it, which is just ridiculous. The, the narrative does not match what's there. Um, what I was going to ask you is is what style of architecture do the the Moorish Freemasons build in, and how is it different from the other architecture? that we talk about with a Tartaria scenario with like red brick or with big stones. Is, is there a difference between those? Or? They built with all of it, all, all of it. those styles. So there's, there's architecture that we would clearly identify as Moorish, but there's also architecture that was built by the same civilization that we would classify as Roman or mm-hmm. Greek or serving different North purposes, North Africa or, you know, but when you look at these old big cities around the world, um, they have massive <laughs> temple kind of architecture mm-hmm. in Europe, in North America. I mean, in the United States, this is is full of it, and, and universities, um, yeah, universities, schools are this classic architecture, yeah. and it's like, well, we built this. <laughs> We built this in the 1830s or the 1840s or the 1850s or the 1870s or the 1890s. Uh-huh. You know, those are those are like red letter timing for <laughs> for when the construction was said to have come in, and um, you know they're just they're just filling gaps in the narrative, so they have some explanation to give us about how all of this infrastructure came in. 
And I believe the reason they went through all this trouble and didn't just come in and take everything over is because we're in a free will universe, plane, you know, whatever you want to call it, planet. I'm not driven by plane or planet, but I've, you know, I've certainly come across evidence <laughs> to support <laughs> flat earth, but mm-hmm. I'm more concerned about bringing out this ancient civilization and people um, than whether the earth is flat and, and the genocide that goes, has gone along with that and the, the grave danger that we are in. <laughs> Yeah. You know, to me, the the shape of the earth really is inconsequential when you yeah. compare it to, uh, you know, imminent <laughs> problems <laughs> that have become clear in the last year and a half. But the questioning of the narrative is the important <laughs> part of the flat earth movement in which I do support. Right. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, I'm just saying I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I just got to get this out. Um, I think yeah. it works. I think it works on a plane. Mm-hmm. Um and I know a lot of flat earth people are aware of ley lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's that more people I think are, are aware of that problem with the world we live in, <laughs> you know, how, the discrepancies there. And I definitely have come across really good evidence to show how they budged it. Mm. And on what they did and how they, you know, how we went from flat maps to globes and how we went from having ley lines on maps to just longitude and latitude mm-hmm. where it used to be ley lines on oh. the maps. That would make that makes the most sense, actually, uh, to just kind of switch the lines that are already there, give them another meaning, give them a, a kind of, uh, you know, like a like a. Just these numbers, right? Like these numbers that are just big. They, they don't mean anything. They're just they're just longitude, latitude. That's it. Don't worry. It's just a location. Nothing important going on here. Um, and they they switch the prime meridian from the Great Pyramid to Greenwich in 1851, mm-hmm. which is my zero year of this reset. Yeah. Well, who all lives in Greenwich? <laughs> Royal Observatory. Um, all, all the rich elite upper class uh, <laughs> that's where they live um, that's where the, the douchebag style comes from right the, <laughs> the sweater so we went- the sweater over the neck and the, and the boat shoes the yacht shoes and the, and the, <laughs> the pastel shorts um, anyway and that was all part of the, the modus of how this takeover has taken place, you know, cause you've got the, the financial capital, the city of London, mm-hmm. um, you know, that the monarch of England can't even go into without permission. Um, um I'm going to go into a little, little short story here. I was just watching the other day, this movie called free guy. And I had Tartaria in mind when I was uh, watching it because uh, the circuit board city motif and, you know, like how these, all these sacred sites are set up to kind of look like circuit boards is very interesting because this movie free guy is about a non-player character in a video game who all of a sudden gains consciousness and is able to choose free will and make his own decisions because the creators of the video game 
put in free will into the computer algorithm. And so this guy was able to make his own decisions in life, in his life, in his NPC fake world. Mm -hmm. Uh, He couldn't leave the realm. And like, if he tried to go out of the boundaries, he would hit like a proverbial wall that he wouldn't be able to break through. And uh, it just, it just made me go like, I wonder how much circuit board cities play into the simulation theory. And if maybe when they were active once that it formed like a proverbial, uh, like out of bounds in certain areas uh, and trapped people in certain places. So they could never go into different places. And maybe what we're looking at is the remnants of a world that was once in a simulation, but now it is broken and now everybody is able to be free and we're just trying to all put back the pieces of the puzzle together. Does that, does that make any- uh, You know, that's, that's a very interesting finding. <laughs> and um, I think this system was reverse engineered, the circuit board system. Okay. I think we became the energy. Ah. You know, that there's been this energy harvesting going on. Yeah. Um, and that it was it was reverse engineered against us, whereas before it was used for good. Yeah. It was used as a free energy generating mm. system that was like in perpetual motion mm-hmm. that you know provided all the power. Um you know, I it, it was the different world. You know, I want my time machine yeah. so I can go back, you know, <laughs> a few hundred years ago and, and see what it was like. Cause I think it was amazing. Cause we've got the remnants of it here. Yeah. Um, so to tie in my point and bring it back to what you just said, as far as free will, they did this because they have to have our consent. Yeah. They have to have our consent. And so they've created, uh, my understanding is, you know, the way they've rigged the system is with our, if you're familiar with the whole birth certificate idea mm-hmm. and that we're not actually free. Uh-huh. Corporation. <laughs> you know, cor- you know the, right. Exactly. America, the corporation. Yeah. Yeah. They treat us like a non-person legally by the system that they have set up. Well, you know, natural people, they can't touch. So they've, they've rigged it so they can touch us and convince us they do have this power by their laws and so on and so forth. You know, the Admiralty law versus um, consular law, but the Admiralty law that we know. So we have, and then they've, they've given us the education they want us to have from their compulsory education Mm -hmm which all started around the 1850s. So they've, we've had to go to school and learn what they wanted us to learn. They've taken other things out of the curriculum, like critical thinking. They don't want us to be critical thinkers. You know, they just want us to or create, learn, regurgitate, you know, give the also, right answer. <laughs> any sort of human optimization, health, any wellness, any natural understanding yeah. of, of healing at all is out of schools and, and modern learning at all. Like there's none. 
there's none in there besides drink water. Music and art too has completely gone away. Even like music stores are like are impossible to find anymore. Um, and the public art is horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things Serving that they have zero purpose. <laughs> it's just just Often. ugly, you know, creepy. A banana duct taped <laughs> to a wall is art. You know, so they, so what they've done <laughs> Thanks, is, <Andy>. um, <laughs> so they've given us um, the narrative they want us to learn. They've reinforced it with Hollywood movies and, you know, from, from the time that movies started, <laughs> you know, this conditioning has been going on. They, they give us junk food. Um, they give us distractions. They give us sports. They give us all the alcohol that we want. They give us all the cigarettes that we want. They give us everything that they want us to have and discourage <laughs> critical thinking and, you know, being different and creativity, like you're saying. And, and then there's this mind pro mind control programming that's been going on. And so this is to get us <laughs> to be able to consent to an agenda that if we were in our right minds, we would never consent to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, put the force of law behind it. It's like, if you don't do this, then you're in trouble. <laughs> Sweet. Where you say, no, <laughs> no, I don't want that. Uh, nope. You're going to get that. And, um, you know, it's, it's, to get you know to push us along in their their you know transhumanist agenda yeah. how are you going to get people to comply with giving freedoms away and and you know our everything uh, compulsory Absolutely. And speaking of movies, you just put out not too long ago a video, uh, Shapers of the New Narrative Part 1, which is fantastic. I do advise everybody to go watch that. It blew my cap off um, because I love... You know, studying predictive programming and, and looking at, you know, different like occultic symbolism and movies and things like that. But when you tied it to the old Western movies, um, a lot a lot of things clicked because... Um, there was that shaping and that understanding of what America was and, and it was so hard impeded into the people's mind of what America was because it was cowboy land. It was desolate, ran by savages, absolute savages. And, you know, the cowboys and Indians and that whole, that whole narrative that completely dominated and created the Hollywood paradigm that we know now. And. That was just, I, I, I suggest everybody get ready for this, uh, hopefully three-parter series that's coming out. Uh, <laughs> well, it's turning into three. <laughs> nice. I, I, well, I haven't started two yet. And so I'm going to, I'm going to look at the role of penny candy, you know, cause you've got all these kids eating sugar. Yep. You know, starting, starting, it, starting it easy. Then there's the circuses, Barnum and Bailey, and Woo! you're getting into, you know, freak shows and, Dime museums, you know, talked about dime westerns in the first book. So they get these stories out that they they want young people to read and they only cost a dime. And the guy that started that retired as a millionaire selling these dime western novels to, you know, print this narrative on, on that generation. And they were geared towards younger readers, which kind of begs the question where they're like just lots of young people around anyway. 
you know, the whole orphan yes. idea, which yes. I think is very real. I, I wanted to ask you about that because you bring up in the video about, um, you know, Charles Dickens writes a lot about orphans um, because, you know, in the Tartaria mud flood world, we are one of the first things you find out. Um, you don't have to dig very far to find out about orphan trains. And I was hoping that you could maybe just give the people a little bit more on some of the depth about orphan trains and maybe some uh, deeper background on that to the humans on our show. Okay. So I've done some research into charitable organizations, um, orphanages, orphan trains, immigration, you know, what we're taught about immigration. Um, and, And basically we're looking at the 19th century. And so what my research is leading me to, to believe, first of all, is that there was some kind of liquefaction event that was created somehow that created a flood of mud all over the earth because you can see evidence for mud flood everywhere. And it was like the world we live in was like built on top of it. It's like they dug out enough of the building to make it usable. But the, you know, the, the lines are slanted. <laughs> Windows are at ground level. Um, and I'm saying this because it ties into what you're asking. Absolutely. So, so there's this new world that is dug out. There's a lot of in, uh, infrastructure beneath our feet. So people could live underground. So humans could have survived underground and the people that were doing the building the new civilization could have lived underground mm-hmm. until they got enough stuff on the surface ready. So things start, things in our hysterical, historical, hysterical too, the <laughs> historical narrative um, kind of start to ramp up in the late 1700s, early 1800s. You know, you start you know, seeing these trickle things happening and then you have the 1812 New Madrid earthquake and, you know, things going on in 1812. You know, most people have heard of the Carrington event, which I think was in 1859. These things could have absolutely been related to what's taken place here. Um, But starting around 1830 is really when things start to get going with this new thing. And, um, the big cities like Glasgow in Scotland and some other places, they're having these really big building projects going on. <laughs> Incredible building projects. Um, and then you're starting to see alcohol come in. So distilleries popping up. And, you know, if you look up teachers mm-hmm. whiskey out of Scotland, they, they were founded in 1830 and then they start making alcohol widely available to the general population. Um, you know, again, as far as the adults in the picture, I'm not really sure. All I'm all I'm saying is I think humanity was a mess in the 19th century. Um, and the elites were living high on the hog. <laughs> but the general population uh, was a mess. So um, that's where you see a lot of the you see a lot of orphanages. You see a lot of asylums, um, insane asylums. And, you know, there's all kinds of places to warehouse people that are popping up crazy time period when you really start looking at it. And that's what Dickens was writing about 
That's what Victor Hugo was writing about. And there's a lot of orphans in Victor Hugo's work too. And then also over here. Um, so, so there was an explosion of young people starting around the 1830s. And, you know, by, by about the 1850s, there's, um, you know, what are we going to do with all of these kids? <laughs> well, we don't want to be in the city. Maybe we won't want to populate out there. Maybe they'll have a better life out there. And the orphan train movement started about 1854. And um, Charles Loring Brace was the founder of that. He was assisted by people like Mary Astor, who was the wife of Oof. John Jacob Astor. Um, I see it as early ch- child trafficking. Mm-hmm. Is what I've come. That's exactly what it sounds like that. to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I think they're, Tendencies started early <laughs> um, because these kids would just, they would dress them up, you know, apparently give them a Bible, mm-hmm. you know, stick them on the train and they would make these stops in these towns and they would be paraded in a, you know, community hall and, you know, Hey, I'll take that one. And they would have, um, there was no mechanism to make sure the, these kids were, going to a safe place. Um, and that went on for about 75 years, those orphan trains. And, and we have no idea where, where they came from, what continent or. Well, they, they, it was mainly in North America. Now it might've been in other places, similar things. Um, okay. There was a uh, few look up operation Pied Piper in the second world oh, war. There were all those kids evacuated out of London. Okay. Um, and I don't know what happened. No idea what happened to those kids. Yeah, but for their safety, they there's, were taken out of London. There's there's millions of missing children each year, every year. Um, okay, sorry, I'll, I'll say it like there are thousands of missing children each year, every year, continuously since the since as far back as we can go. And the orphan trains does in fact sound like some sort of you know kind of really nice. Nice way to put a package or a bow on the package of of human trafficking because you know they don't have any parents and we're just trying to be humanitarians and help them out and yeah. give them a nice place to live in a future. Hmm. But I get to choose who I want and I get to choose where they go. And it sounds like an early onset um, way of indoctrination and um, and almost like a way of uh, I, I believe uh, that there is there is farming that happens farming of um, of curated humans to fill roles throughout the time of whenever roles need to be filled. Whoever needs to go in a certain place at a certain time, you give them to a home. Um, and from they're pampered from, from this big to this big. And then they just basically follow their narrative and their role from the farm. So on and so forth. Uh, that's kind of, that's a little fun theory. I, I like to think about. So these, these kids come from the North American continent though. So are, are they like picking up kids New from York. parents that are already here and they're just taking them from them? That, so that's far? not clear. That's not, not clear. clear. Okay. I mean, that's, that's why I brought in the alcoholism. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of poverty. Um, yeah. And I think the bringing in of the alcoholism was intentional. Um, and then there's inventoriums which started in the late 1800s where premature babies would be exhibited in sideshows mm-hmm. as a sideshow attraction. 
And, and these are uh, Caucasian kids, though, yeah or no? Yeah, you know, I I think there was a a repopulating. <laughs> you know, probably most of the surface population was wiped out by whatever event took place. Um, there could have definitely uh-huh. been some kind of growing of kids yeah. to repopulate. There- and I think there was human engineering going on. Um, I think we're much smaller than we were. Um, and I think something had to happen to, you know, give us, you know, whites come from Europe and blacks come from Africa and, you know, from China, yeah. You, yeah. You know, you've got yellow people from, you know, North America, from the Indians, you've got red people, you know, I yeah. think there was, there's a lot going on to give us the homogeneity that we see today that I don't think was that way originally. Hmm. Um, if people I, were planning the mud flood, they would plan on something like getting a number of people that they would need to repopulate afterwards. It would be a part of a written agenda if some sort of liquefaction were to happen, right? Or be planned to. I believe that. I believe it was planned. I, I don't believe it was a natural event that it just happened because I think if it just happened, it, it would, or would have been an extinction level event. <laughs> we, yeah. You know, we'd still be living in caves um Mm -hmm. and there would not have been the level of organization needed to bring everything back online and take over everything the way that they did and they took over everything is there a mainstream narrative for for where these children came from from the orphan trains do they do they talk about it or they just say oh they oh they just showed up on the train choo choo years and years ago there was a movie about the orphan train. I think I was probably in my teens when it okay. came out. Um, it'll, it'll pop up in mainstream every once in a while, but you know, unless you really start looking into the details of what was involved with it, um, it really isn't talked about hmm. in the mainstream. Cause my idea about it was that there was a lot of wars going on in Europe and England uh, between those two sides, the Whigs and the Tories and the whole uh, uh, Jacobite rebellion and everything, which was in like the late 1600s, 1700s. So 1850 is a little bit farther out for for that narrative, I I think maybe. But it's also possible that maybe it's not that too far out and that maybe they were taking these kids from all these uh, people that were killed off. I think like 20 million people died in, in those wars in Europe. Uh, so maybe they maybe they got those children. It's it's what's what's difficult is what our history tells us was going on during a certain time. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, trying to kind of ferret through the historical narrative, and that's always my starting point. Yeah, because I mean, I can tell you what was going on in the 1800s by now, <laughs> um, because I've studied it so much. There were um, revolutions going on in 1830, 1848, 1870 that toppled uh, the Napoleonic Wars yes. that toppled the original ruling families of, of Europe. And uh, I think this whole time they're bringing in this agenda, you know, this same time it's when communism got started with Karl Marx and, yeah. um, you know, different yes. things going on. Bolshe- Bolshevik revolu- uh, revolution. It's interesting that you said that they're handing on Bibles. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean that's what if that's what I read. Yeah, you know? I mean that points to <laughs> something obvious to me, but that's just me. A quote so, from Napoleon Bonaparte is: uh, uh, "History is a set of lies agreed upon." I mean, <laughs> I, think, I mean, I think this is right from the horse's a, mouth, huh? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think this is a Masonic, in large part, a Masonic plan. You know, I mean, I think the Freemasons were key in the implementation of this plan, and other. Other secret societies or group, you know, the Jesuits are in there and um, Zionists. I think the Zionists are Zionists an umbrella are- name for the people that are behind this, you know, okay. not just not just what we think it is. And yeah. even the Mormons were Zionists. And I think they had their role to play um. in, in, in what's taken place or what the cover up was after what took place. Interesting. Yep. So, so I think it's been oh, very, very carefully planned. There's there on the main. So to, to touch up what Dan asked too, there like, like I think there was 250,000 orphans on the orphan trains on the mainstream narrative when you just like Google it. So they're relocating hmm. 250,000 orphans that just were happened to be on the West coast um, due to like illnesses of their parents dying from, uh, the flu or typhoid or, or oh. yellow fever, right? That's and like, I, okay, <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, I think kid, either kids were, you know, their parents were incapacitated <laughs> from drinking too much, mm-hmm. oh. or they gave, you know, they were poor, so they gave their kids away, or they were warehoused in asylums in some kind of asylum. Yeah, there's pictures of kids working on trains and um, other things in like, uh, uh, what do you call uh, those buildings? Uh, Machinery type buildings. Warehouses? Uh, No, but what do you call that? Not printing presses. Factories. Factories. There you go. Factories. Yes. Uh, some, I mean, think about too, you know, there's a lot of stories of, you know, um, like, uh, bandits, you know, bandits, I haven't used that word in a while. It's beautiful. Uh, it's not beautiful. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, but you know, just stealing children in the night, right? There's a lot of that. There's a lot of just strange stories that go on with these mythical cryptoid, almost like creatures that will come and steal children. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, a lot of folklore on that. And then something else too, you really got to think about it because it happens now in modern age with, um, you know, all of the knowledge and information that we have access to with the internet. Love the NSA. Oh goodness. Anyways. Uh, (laughs) um, but you can, you can easily sway people to sell you anything because the right parent will sell your, their children for the right price. So there's a, a multitude of reasons as to how and why this would whatever happen. Um, and, you know, with the uh, information about psychology that they've been understanding and digging uh, for for so long, the, the information about how psychology works and the studies about how to manipulate and how to really control have been processed and worked on and programmed for the longest amount of time. And so to persuade someone to give you their children, if it's really wanted to happen, it will happen. 
So whatever, it fucking happened. Wow. Why? And sweet. I'm sorry. I went on time right there. So we're living, I mean, we're actually literally living at a time where you've got people that are waking up and people that are, you know, pretty much caught in the machine, Mm -hmm. you know, and not able to process (laughs) normally, if you will, (laughs) critically think about that. Um, you know, you've got these two things happening at the same time, which I think is really, in a way, it's really exciting because if they had had their way, nobody would be waking up. That's why you've got the fluoride in the water and the chemtrails and, you know, yeah. all the things, you know, and all the things they pump us full of to, <laughs> to keep us at a lower level of vibration. Atmospheric um, toxicity. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you yeah. think that maybe it, it if we didn't have all these things uh, calcifying our pineal gland, that maybe we'd be uh, more free thinkers and have better ideas on how to do these uh, free energy things and build these big monuments and things like that, because we'd all be more intelligent together. I think we're naturally psychic. You know, I think we naturally, we all naturally have that ability, you know, through the pineal gland yes, um, in a normal functioning way, we would all be, you know, (laughs) able to do amazing things. And that was one of the reasons Mm. they went after the original humans so hard is because they don't want that. (laughs) Yeah, They want us to be like them. They don't want us to, you know, be in our full potential. And so, um, yeah, I absolutely believe those things were deliberately done to keep us from, waking up and to keep us from asking questions so they could continue to take advantage of humanity and, and control us. Um, that would, you know, that's the end game and, and worse for us. I mean, this didn't have a good ending for us if, if their plans were carried out to fruition. But I, I, again, I'm really optimistic that it's not going to happen. Mm. I mean, parts of it, We'll, we'll probably see parts of that play out here for a little while, but um, I don't, don't think they're going to get away with what they originally planned. And it's not, you know, not good for yeah, humans. Yeah. I hope Sweet. it's like a Scooby-Doo scenario and they like pull their mask off right at the end and they go, oh, you, if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, something like that. If it wasn't for you podcasters. <laughs> Were you meddling mores? <laughs> it's funny because like there's that. been a lot of uh, mask symbolism or uh, symbolism or, uh, you know, pokery at uh, mask, you know, with Biden being the two faced president and um, uh, Fauci obviously wearing a rubber mask and like all of these heads that are popping up. These talking heads are all wearing rubber masks. There's a lot of symbolism in that. Also, uh, Walt Disney going to. Uh, maybe soon be uncryogenically frozen because his time is coming. <laughs> so oh, we're man. blessed to live in interesting times. <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, my message is humanity was much more advanced um, than what we're taught to believe. Yeah. The earth was very different from what we've been taught. And, um, you know, that something took place and, you know, we we will have a positive future. We we just need to get through this time. Yeah. You know, this that 
things are playing out <laughs> and we're seeing it for the first time and realizing it, you know, whereas before, until this happened the last year and a half, but I don't think people could see, <laughs> you know, mm. they didn't have something that allowed enough space in to start to see, hey, maybe mm -hmm. something's wrong with this picture. <laughs> And now people are starting, you know, again, I, I encourage people to look in their own communities, look at the older buildings in your own communities, look at the parks, look at the the rivers and the, because I think rivers were canal systems along with canals. And they're, we're told they're natural, but if you, a lot of them still have masonry banks. Mm. Um, a lot of have the, the blocks removed, um, but you can see it in the, in the riverfronts and a lot of, big cities where they there's big megalithic blocks along the rivers you know the river edge mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and that you know look at the years that they say built it and look at the quality of the architecture that we can't even build like today you know and when did yeah. they say they were doing this how many times did they say they did it you know like this is the fourth courthouse replacing this one and this one and this one um and uh, they each show a different ornate building that was supposed to have been at the same location and then the number of, of fires that have taken place in yeah. in cities. Um, and, you know, we were talking about at the very beginning, you know, they say, well, all the buildings were wood. <laughs> so the whole downtown burned down and we had to build back better. <laughs> oh, build back better. <laughs> you back know, with masonry too, huh? and all that stuff, you oh, know, okay. that's how we got this masonry because, <laughs> you know, the wood buildings that, we're here burned down and it's like uh no. mm. <laughs> let's let's can we get into the mud flood aspect a little bit too uh when when do you think this mud flood happened i'm i'm thinking it's been somewhere around two to three hundred years ago i would i would lean more towards mm. 300 well more but closer to like 1700 anytime I think 1851 was, was the official kickoff of the New World Order timeline. So, so things were starting to cook, really cook in the early 1800s. So there's a little bit of a gray area in, in the 1700s. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it was in that time period that whatever happened to create the mud flood happened. And it took them about a hundred years to dig out and get started. You think, um, maybe, and like I, go ahead, sorry, sorry. No, I was going to say, like I said, in our pre-talk, I, I really think Alistair Crowley is involved in this. Mm. Um, and I've also linked the Philadelphia experiment to this time loop and Ooh. some events that took place. And it, it sounds out there, but I think I'd make a pretty good case to at least think about it. Um, and what's really crazy is what's really taken place here. <laughs> you know, so anything we do to try to explain it, that sounds kind of crazy. Um, really isn't as crazy as what they did and how they could have possibly done it because it's insane what they did. Uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more about Crowley and uh the uh, Philadelphia experiment. Okay. I'll tell you what I know. Um, and this is from an author by the name of Peter moon. Who's done a lot of, um, a lot of work. And his story is interesting in that 
he grew up in California. And when L. Ron Hubbard had the C Corps, before all the bad stuff happened. And what Peter says is that it got infiltrated and taken down like everything else. So what he says is that Hubbard was trying to teach people how to become free from, mm. from, you know, the physical body and, you know, be able to go up in consciousness. Um, and there's a lot of other things about Hubbard that are kind of questionable, but it's interesting. And Peter's, Peter's work is really interesting. Um, and he talks about the Moors and he talks about other, a lot of other things as well. He's, he talks a lot about the occulted nature of where we find ourselves, you know, the black magic and stuff like that. Um, rituals and spells and all kinds of stuff to keep us asleep. Um, but he's the one that said that, that, and he studied the Philadelphia experiment a lot too, but I don't know that he's made the connection that I did, but one of the things that got me thinking about it is that in one of his books on the day that the Philadelphia experiment took place, Alistair Crowley was doing a ritual in Cornwall in England. Um, and it involved putting his infant son through a round megalith that has a hole in the center called men and toll. And that when that happened, that there was this line um, that formed in the water going towards North America. And so that was the first connection that I had seen made with Crowley. Um, but I'm intrigued with that whole idea that that might've been what took place because the Philadelphia experiment, a lot of people say, well, that never happened. There's no proof of it, but I think it happened. And the USS Eldridge disappeared completely mm -hmm. for a period of time. And when I first start, started looking into this, I was finding the date of 1942 for the first one. Now, you know, when I look, I see a lot more 1943. When I was first really thinking about this, um, I had already been thinking about 1492 as mm -hmm. being important and a connection with 1942. And then when I started looking at 1717, a lot of anomalous stuff was happening. Um, another thing is um, there is a time traveling naval vessel in a movie called the final countdown. And um, so it's in, you know, Hollywood said something about that. <laughs> like, where yeah. They get that idea. Uh, but what I think happened was it went back in time to the year 1741 and created a rip in the fabric of space time because there was a, a frost or a great freeze in Ireland that lasted for about 21 months and it was extremely cold. And that was between 1740 and 1741. And then three years later, Mayor Rothschild was born. And then four years after that, um, Adam Weishaupt was born. Oof. And um, just a few years after that, the German Duke who was, the, the founder of the house of Windsor was born. <laughs> Just top it up. <laughs> so I, I think that at, at the very least created this 
rip that allowed these beings to come in. Oh, um, interesting. That's, that's interesting. What kind um, of beings? Evil. Evil being lower lower vibrational shadow entity. There we go. That's better. Lower vibrational <laughs> shadow entities. Yeah. Well, like that's because that's, that's the way I, I. I that's the way I tell people about the energy that holds over you when you are basically an autopilot, and because I, I look at consciousness as you know there being these like kind of just a simple way to put it would be just like three levels, right? Really simple. <laughs> way to explain consciousness in five seconds right three levels up middle down and and, uh you know we live here um and it's so much easier to lay down and to to just rest and to have this kind of like you know shadowy entity you know go and that's your that's your lower self that's you know that's that's just indulging in these uh you know and and like a, a lot of like um kind of like not so uh connective sex and uh you know a lot more like indulgent drinking and these things that will will not necessarily um enlighten you if you will and then there's the the here and now and the present which is an incredibly important place to be and please stay present all the time and realize the present is an incredibly powerful place to be um and then you have the higher which is a it is a walk and a journey and a continuance and an always pressing on and forth to to not have that, you know, to understand the lower vibrational shadow self or entities that can take over our brain and, and just love that dopamine, love that, love all the things that dump, dump chemicals into us. But then you have the the top where, you know, we're, you know, always wanting to go to, but it's a lot of work and it's not easy and it's, it's it's a thing so sorry that's my my five second yeah. consciousness speech that's a, that's a really good point because you know i i, I want to be judgmental about it because i know what's being what's been going on here and it's not a happy story for humanity but i'm also on a spiritual path and i understand um you know the, the need to be in the heart and um you know moving forward to the next phase of our evolutionary journey mm-hmm. as spiritual beings and so um it is it is a bit of a judgment on my part because it's still it's still <laughs> hard for me to get over what they've actually been doing here <laughs> and and i uh, uh, completely understandable <laughs> and coming to terms with to what extent has this been allowed yeah does that make sense mm. i mean did they just come in and take over or is this being allowed to happen for a specific reason for us, mm. you know, and is that why it, it's happening as an awakening process? Yeah. I mean, I met one guy um, after another interview I did, he contacted me. He, he went from like zero to 60 last, eight months ago where he wasn't wow. awake. And then all of a sudden he was awake, <laughs> like yeah. literally like that. Downloads, I mean, really awake. <laughs> and so um, that's that kind of thing's happening. Um, you know, yeah. in spite of all that's been thrown at us, people are still waking up from this really dense place. And um, the harder they push us, the more people that are still able will will say no. 
you know? Um, and if things were all normal, that wouldn't be happening because people don't change if there's no, <laughs> no reason to. Um, I got a, I got a couple more. I want to go back on the mud flood thing, but yes, uh, yes, 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 uh, yes. one of the question I had was, uh, have you talked to Ross Ben or Michael Wan before? Ooh, no, I've, I've heard of Ross. You definitely need to get in contact with those guys. Uh, they do stuff together. Also, uh, Michael Wan talks about the Susquehanna River, and uh, Ross Ben talks about examining the cities in like your own backyard, you know. Um, and he puts a lot of emphasis on like the way cities are built and how they have the certain construction around them and everything. It'd be really interesting if you guys kind of collaborated on something together because you guys are all doing YouTube videos also. I think that would be like something magnificent could bloom from that. Well, if um, you know them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, yeah. Say, hey. yeah we'll get I mean, Mark, uh, we, we, I mean, you know, you can get in contact with Mark, right? From uh, my family thinks I'm crazy. Mm-hmm, right. Um, that that's your contact right there. Just uh, okay. we'll, we'll tell them. You tell them. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll do the thing. Too. Yeah, we'll, let's uh, facilitate that. <laughs> I know like, enough about Ross Ross's work that he works around ley lines too. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, yeah, is this yeah. is and hugely, par- yes, yes. hugely, hugely important information. Yes. And I'm not just saying that because no, I know that's the work I'm, that I do. I'm, that's I'm what saying I'm saying. It because, like, <laughs> you know, to understand where we came from. Yes. You have to understand that everything was lined out perfectly according to these right. ley lines, which were electromagnetic lines, which were connected to the free energy generating system mm-hmm. and everything else. I mean, it was a comprehensive, integrated, beautiful yeah. worldwide civilization. And thankfully for the internet, you can find pictures. Yeah. You know, of these. You know these beautiful buildings in New York. Is like, well, we built this in 1890, but we had to demolish it in yeah. 1950. <laughs> and that story uh, is repeated over and over again, um, not only in New York City but all yeah. over. Rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall. You know. there, Why? <laughs> there's a, there's there's a huge. I mean, something we kind of like. We're uh, you know we're we're going around on a lot of topics, which is amazingly beautiful. And we talked about, you know, we've said a little bit about the mud flood, a little bit about the orphan trains, and another thing that I think people commonly will also find on their uh, on their Tartaria journey and mud flood journey is um, the world fairs and the world fair connections and the technology fairs. Um, and there's just so much, so much of this that ties into the, what we're talking about just now. Um, and I mean, Michelle, can you just give us what you're kind of uh basis of understanding from your research about the world fair connections and the importance to um tartaria and our our common modern understanding so there's two gateway topics to this subject yes and the first one i encountered were star forts because star forts are all over the earth they're massive they're you know similar shapes um and they all have stories like, well, this was a fort that was built in such and such a year by the French or the British or the Portuguese as a military fortification. You know, and there's all kinds of craziness there. 
But the second gateway is the subject of world fairs. And um, the, the first really big one was in 1851, and that was the Crystal Palace Exhibition in London. And that's the one that I think kicked off the New World Order timeline. Um, big old beautiful building. If you look up Crystal Palace, it's huge. You know, and there's rail lines going in there, and there's subway underneath. Um, and I think that was like their official, hey, <laughs> and they they showcase the original technology, um, and then. In the case of the first one, they said they moved it afterwards. And again, this is a, ma- a huge building. And that around 1930, the whole structure burned down in a different location. That's what we're told. After the 1851 World's Fair, there were major World's Fairs every couple of years. Paris, New York, Philadelphia. Um Portland, San San Francisco, Buffalo, um, just to name a few. So for about a hundred years, they had these um, magnificent world fairs. You can just look at look up the architecture. I mean, just huge buildings, um, masonry Amazing. buildings. Um, they had uh, water features, lagoons, basins, fountains. And the story with all of them is, we built that. We bought the land. This committee bought the land. And it was built, like the Crystal Palace was like, from start to fish, was supposed to take nine months. And again, you look at you look at it and you go, what? <laughs> the story just doesn't fit. And And then with the World Fairs, okay, so they built it. They're done with it. We built it to be temporary, so we tore all these buildings down. Now, I mean, to me, because I believe that there was an original civilization that built it and that they're lying when they tell us what they did, I'm like, that's that's what I see, is they were, they were having these, you know, getting whatever benefit they could out of them, and then they, they, they destroyed them. Basically, there may be a few buildings standing like in Chicago. There's uh, two buildings that are said to be standing. One is the Chicago Museum. Um, I want to say of art. Big, huge building. You know, again, they're all big, huge buildings. Um, and, you know, with I think Photoshopping exists. I mean, I think you can create a picture and say we were building this for the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition. So you can you can find evidence that. It was built when they said it was, but it's it's really shady. Um, um, a little you know, a little devil's advocate. Do you think that they were just uh, maybe taking pictures of of models of the towns that they're proposing to build, and maybe that's why there's no people or uh, building resources in the area? I I'm not sure. Um, there is. If you look up World's Fairs, mm-hmm. you'll see quite a bit. And, you know, it's really for the viewer to decide, depending on where you, where you are with this, is it possible that these were built in the manner that they were said to have been built? Um, 
in a short period of time and then destroyed because it's monumental, monumental architecture. And um, I just think the world fairs were an excuse to, to highlight it, showcase it. And then they don't, they don't want it there. You know, this is a civiliz- this, the new world order doesn't want those kinds of things out there to have us question, well, how did that get there? <laughs> you know, if they want us to believe yeah. that we're, you know, as, as good as we've ever been, and we were actually better at one time, they, they don't want us to have that information. Uh, so, so to go back to the mud flood a little bit, do you know, like, is there a how or a why as to the mud flood? Like, how did it happen or why did it happen? Well, I, I think it happened in order to wipe this civilization out. Because oh, so you if think we it was created to get rid of the civilization that was there? Right. Interesting. I mean, we're talking about a worldwide civil, civilization of, of mm-hmm. giants. <laughs> oh, How are you giants. willingly <laughs> okay. going to take control of the earth if you're dealing with big, <laughs> big people um, and smart people? Yeah, yeah, connected people. So you hit them with something they don't see coming. And again, you can look up pictures of mud flood. There's lots of mud flood pictures on the internet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thousands. Thousands. Yeah. We uh, we look all day. (laughs) There's a. Do you think there's a tie to this um, needing to hijack and steal technology that comes from? I mean, one of the famous ones is Thomas Edison, right? Like he's just known for constantly hijacking people's inventions. And then the world fairs were technology uh, fairs, Tesla. right? They were, they were, yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, Nikola Tesla, I don't know if you've done any much. I'm sure you have done some good research on Tesla, but that's a whole other thread. But um, basically the, you know, the belief that the Tartarian, empire and the and this this ancient civilization during this golden age and beautiful goodness uh was heightened technology and so the common thread and theme of these um these hijackers is to hijack technology and hijack their information and to hijack their their power structures and hijack their everything of how they run it so then they can contort it in their way for control um and that's and, exactly yeah, what yeah. they've been doing and they're really yeah. good at it <laughs> yeah so good so was, so artful wow <laughs> i was gonna comment something to that similar effect was uh maybe the people that came here and and these power sources were intact maybe because they started messing with them because they didn't know what they did caused uh uh because it's pulling out mm-hmm. atmospheric energy, right? So what if it got all grounded at the same time because they they broke them or tried to destroy them and then that caused the liquefaction in the ground. It caused the ground to just become liquid and then swallow everything up. I, I think that's a good explanation. Uh, um, the explanation for Atlantis is, is that, right? It got swallowed up by the sea, like yeah. almost as if it didn't really sink in but the land rose above it that's a question i was going to say michelle do you think that the sinking of atlantis could have happened at the same time as these mud floods just briefly before the 1800s in light about everything else 
<laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, that's, in, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, I've thought about uh, like directed energy weapons of some kind, nuclear mm-hmm. weapons. Um, mm-hmm. I think there was, there were a new number of parties involved in this. I think we're talking. So I think Crowley could have been a point person here yeah. on earth, but I think there were like negative entities, fallen angels, negative ETs. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're all involved in, in what they mm-hmm. saw was their, you know, big opportunity um, to come over, come in, take a, everything over and install their guy as the top dog. You know what a good movie to represent uh, an imagery in my head? And it's it's kind of a stretch, so hopefully you guys will agree. Uh, Here we go. Mon- Monsters, Inc. Your seat belt. <laughs> uh, Monsters, Inc. was a movie by not Disney, but DreamWorks. And it's basically about monsters that go to their job is to steal children's screams um, because it's an incredibly valuable energy source, right? This is an animated children's film, by the way, and it's made into a comedy. And then at the end of it, it's to steal the laughter because it's an even more and better energy source. But either way, it's monsters going to work to steal human energy and and to, to have that and harness it. And um, I'm thinking, you know, there's there's probably some magnetic... Uh, um, reason that the poles are so highly guarded and it has to do with um, using our energy and stealing our energy um, and feeding some sort of like either mythical beast or, you know, mm. whatever sort of entity situation yeah. that could be connected to the pole somehow. I think that's what all the, the North South kind of civil wars were about because we have mm. a North and a South pole, you know, it's magnetic, oh. some magnetic terminology. Mm-hmm. And so I think they were using the polarity to harvest energy also by, you know, creating then, that uh, dichotomy. Yeah. And the North one. Um, and then, but that they've used that North South in other countries in the 20th century. Um, that's what hmm. happened in Yemen. That's what happened in Africa and a lot of African countries. They were split in the North South Sudan. As an example, I think Chad, um, Yemen is another example of perpetuating this warfare, mm-hmm. you know, internecine warfare between the same people, yeah. you know, just by, you know, creating a north and a south of the country. Um, uh, United Kingdom is like that too, right? With Scotland and England and Ireland. North, Northern and Ireland and Ireland, yeah. the same same thing they did. They used Ireland. In Ireland, they used religion, um, the yeah. Catholics and the Protestants. But, you know, that that's part of. Do you think they their, use that same religion doing. in America, too? Well, here they seem to be using race. <laughs> that seems to be their preferred te- technique. But they've practiced a lot of different techniques. <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they use them all here. Exactly. Uh, another movie that comes to mind. I haven't seen Monsters Inc., but somebody else mentioned oh. that it's a good example. Um, I was thinking oh, nice. about I was thinking about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which is a movie oh. I grew up with. Um, oh, yeah, you're old enough to remember movie. it <laughs> uh, with the flying car and Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Uh, you know the goofy Dick Van Dyke and the pretty lady, and uh-huh. they're you know 
take this trip in the flying car and they go to this land. I can't even think of the name of the kingdom. And that's Tartarian um, as fuck, by the way. <laughs> Don't watch the kid. <laughs> it's been a while. You know, this really good music. Um, but at the bottom line, there's this kid catcher, <laughs> you know, with his buggy that's dressed up as an ice cream truck. And oh he steals kids. And then these kids, oh, these stolen kids live underneath the palace that the Baron lives in. Oh, my. That is just too much. And and Dick Van Dyke and his girlfriend, you know, rescue these kids. But where did that come from? You know, where did yeah. that whole idea come from? And it's all this, you know, happy musical and happy ending. But entertainment. You know, where did the, kid the kid snatcher come from? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a um, there's the uh, oh, remind me, Dan. We were talking about it the other day. The Devo hats. Oh yeah. Uh, what's the name of the? Oh, uh, Viamana. Yeah, Viamana. And so Vimana. I um, doing some you know uh, Tartarian research as we do, uh, and there's a heavy belief in you know the the flying automobile, the flying transportation, the, te- the, the levitating transportation. Um, the higher balloons. Yeah. Oh yeah. The Zeppelin, uh, Zeppelins. Yep. And uh, it's, and it would make sense to me that if we had, if our ancient ancestors had an understanding of the um, electromagnetic frequencies of the earth, that we would be able to tap into that with uh, either using consciousness or whatever to have these um, floating uh, forms of transportation. What, what do you think about that, Michelle? Makes sense to me. Yes. I think they had that more. Uh, yeah. Oh. I mean, you have airships. Um, you have water towers. You know, we're told they're water towers, but they have elevators in them. Some of them do. Um, they Most of them have been neglected. And don't serve that kind of function anymore. But yeah. so many of them look like they could have been like a, a dirigible dock of some kind. Mm. And that there was something something more to them than being the water tower that we're taught that they were. Yeah. Wow, I haven't looked much into the water towers. That's that's interesting. Did you uh how did you come across that? I studied the Sulphur Springs water tower in Tampa, Florida in the neighborhood there and did a, a deep dive on that that subject interesting and then you know just just it's just the nature of doing the research and you know things that come just up cons- sync- yeah. Yeah. and um yeah you know and and you know being aware that other people are you know the the research is kind of c- coming together um from p- the different pe- uh, things that people study and research Bunch of and, amazing uh, people doing the work. Yeah, it's really. Um, it seems like so many of us just started doing it around the same time because I'd never done anything like this before 2018. <laughs> you know, and I know a couple of people have been around for a while, but I also know a lot of people have started when I did or shortly after. Yeah. And I wow. think more people are starting to do their own. You know, at least looking around, asking yeah. questions, doing pod- podcasts and that kind of thing. Yeah. But um, I have a, a website and I have a YouTube channel. And everything that we've talked about tonight, I go really into a lot of depth. Mm-hmm. 
an explanation. And so I provide the the evidence for what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's nothing I've arrived at overnight. I mean, mm-hmm. everything that I've talked about is the product of, at this point, years of research and study. Um, and I really do go into a lot of detail. That's hard to do in a conversation. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's, but it's there. So it's, you know, either check out my YouTube channel if you like the visual stuff. And if you like to read, I've got a, a website. I will say too about your the way that you dialect on your YouTube channel is really great um, because there's a lot of this, um, you know, kind of like how a classic scientific study would go. You know, it just gives you a lot of detail. It gives you a lot of background and understanding of a, a lot of the pieces. And then towards the end of the video is when it starts to click, 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 click. And all the things that you talked about in the first part of the video is like, Oh shit. Like this is where it's tying in. Um, and yeah, I, I can just tell that it's definitely a lot of really good deep research when you do your videos. You have a, you have a great way of articulating yourself, which is something I'm, <laughs> something I'm, uh, working on because it's difficult <laughs> to do. So <laughs> I, I appreciate it. You know, it's an art. Yeah. Well, it's, it's getting easier. And, um, my writing skills have always been really good. And so everything starts out in writing. And everything I want to say is is already in written form when I turn it into a video, but but there is kind of an art to the video too. So it's not it's not hard work for me to do, you know. So it's come to me pretty naturally. Um, so I can't say that it's hard <laughs> for me, <laughs> but um, I definitely have had a you know practice practice run and speaking and things like that because I, I would rather just write that I knew <laughs> I needed to get it out more ways than just writing. Do you Absolutely. plan on writing any books in the future? I've got one. Um, this is an ebook and oh. I've got another one that hopefully will be available soon. Um, one on the physical evidence for the first print system and the suppressed global civilization. And then um, the one that's coming up is on transportation and other infrastructure of the grid system. Oh. And I can email you the link for that if you'd like. Yeah, <laughs> please uh, do. If you want us to put it in the show notes too, we can also do that. Um, we're, uh, I know we're kind of winding up here. We got about 15 left. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, star forts. Mm-hmm. I think they're part of the circuitry of the, original grid system um mm-hmm. a lot of them are called batteries and i think oh. that's what they were <laughs> hydro and, batteries um uh, some kind of battery okay. um typically they occur in two or more so i've gotten to the point if i find one star fort i look for another one right away and nine times out of ten there used to be one <laughs> oh not anymore um, and if you look up the definition of battery, um, batteries are like pairs, positive come and in negative. pairs. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in some cases, there were more than two. So, but it, usually two. And yeah. um, and they were immediate targets during what we were told was the Civil War, World War One, World War Two. I. I mean, first day they would just go right after and blast the crap out of these things. And a lot of other important yeah. 
architecture. And I think they were covers for destroying the civilization. Hmm. I mean, they only wanted to keep what they could benefit from. And I think they spent yeah. a lot of time deconstructing what was here. <clears throat> However they could. War was just very convenient for them. Yeah, so you think that like World War One, World War Two was like a cover up to take out these Tartarian relics, kind of like what they do nowadays with with the so called wars, is they go and take out all these mm-hmm. sacred sites and destroy them, so we can't find any information yeah. on them anymore. Interesting. Yeah, okay. I think that's what they're doing, and I do have some research into that. Okay, it's just kind of. A, I'm kind of prolific, so yeah. <laughs> it's getting more and more. It's like, oh, if I can direct you, like a year ago, I did this research, like um, World War One and Gallipoli. Uh, Gallipoli was a very bloody battle during World War One, and when I researched Gallipoli, and this is in what's Turkey now, um, at the time it was the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. Um, they were systematically destroying the star forts along this um, stretch of river. And I can't think of the name of the river, but in Turkey, in Turkey. And I was, um, you know, looking at the star forts at the entrance of it. And then there were like pairs of star forts all the way down. And these were like all targets. during one. So things like that. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty, pretty clear when you start looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really is because it's, um, you know, it, a lot of times I'll, when I'm telling people about, you know, this mud flood, you know, sequence or paradigm, what have you, um, you know, I tell them about the physical mud flood and then I say, well, you know, it's also kind of a, a blanket term. There, there's a lot of mud flood that happens. It's, it's erasing, um, of ancestral knowledge and it's an erasing of, places people and thing um through war and through misguided information and misguided intentions and mud flood is happening currently now especially now um and they happen in and you know in century periods and it's it's very 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 easy for them to do it now um because they've done it so many times and because they finited it and because they're controlling Every aspect of anything that is within the uh, societal simulation that we live, which is not the cosmic reality of which we live. And, um, it's, it's, it's disturbing, but it, it's, it's also enlightening at the same time. Um, because, you know, it's, it's, it's just there. It's like, it's like popcorn, you know, it takes a while, but you know, those seeds gonna pop. We're going to have a nice buttery bowl at some point with a little bit of sweet salt on it. And we're going to have that whole bowl be a bunch of, uh, enlightened humans. And, and we will, we will out, outweigh the, the, the dark shadow entity. I, I absolutely do believe that. I believe that too. And, and that's, that's what I'm hearing as we go through this period. And it'll quite possibly get worse before it gets better. But by the time we get through this period, I think. So many people are going to be awake. It's going to shock you. I think we're like, we're in the middle of this great awakening. Right. And, um, you know, I can only, all I can picture is a positive outcome because I just can't, I just can't even fathom them getting away with this. Yeah. But, but the fact that we've woken up at all with, with what's gone on here is remarkable. 
improves um, our resilience. Yeah, my last question, um, and then Roman, if you have any further questions after this one, uh, is I don't need a long answer for it either. The the timeline hijacked. Do you think it uh, goes along with the like Fomenko stuff and like there's a thousand missing years? Yes. Or do you think like maybe they're just uh, lying about everything? Uh, when. Uh, I, I guess I don't know how to <laughs> phrase it right. Like, but wh- how long do you think time has been like with people in the timeline? Explain the J. Okay. That's, I mean, the J's are real. The J they, they make the J they try to make the J look like one. Okay. Um, that's very real to look at. Um, mm-hmm. and I think any questions about that are valid. Um, Fomenko's work is very valuable because as a mathematician, he's gone in and and looked at it (laughs) really closely to say, this timeline has been messed with (laughs) Mm -hmm. and this is why. (laughs) And all, you know, the arrow points to Scaliger and Patel and um, Scaliger is called the father of modern chronology. And he lived in the 1500s around the same time as Pope, the Pope that changed the calendar, um, Pope Gregory. Yes. Don't remember the number. And also um, Mercator, the map maker. The maps. Yeah. And he was a globe guy too. So he's, this is a, this is kind of like a nodal, nodal point or a nexus point where the whole flat earth deal um, really seemed to show a manipulation of our perception of space and time because it was, I'm not sure it's Mercator or Mercator. I can't, I don't know. Mercator. Yeah. Um, He was the one that started removing ley lines from the maps. And then he also turned his maps into globes. Mm. Um, So he was, he was a globe guy. And this was these these three men, Scaliger, um, Mercator, and Pope Gregory. All this was going on like within a very short period of time between. So um, mm-hmm. there was the work that Scaliger published. Uh, I think it was called the Amendment on the Amendment of Time or something like that. And there was Mercator's maps, and then there was the switchover from the Julian calendar. So we're told to the Gregorian calendar and the, um, that was like in the 1580s that that was taking place. And the Mayans have a cyclical calendar of time, you know, and my understanding is time doesn't exist. Linear time doesn't exist that way. So that, that was a construct in itself. And I think the controllers wanted us on this linear timeline for a number of reasons. And one of the reasons is they could ritualize on the dates, the recurring dates every year, certain dates like 322, mm-hmm. you know, 9-11, you know, their favorite dates to do things. Um, but that also got us out of a natural rhythm and calendar of time that was more, um, you know, based on energies and tones and things like that, like the Mayan calendar. So, in terms of the dates that we have with regards to the J or the I, 
there's clearly something going on with that. Just like Jesus, huh? Or Iusis or something. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. J and I, right? Yeah. Jesus, Isa. So um, <laughs> I don't, I don't pretend to know exactly how that fits in. I just know that it's noteworthy piece of information. Um, my follow-up question to that then would be if there is missing time, then are we really going into a great awakening or is this just a manufactured great awakening or a manufactured apocalypse? I think it's real. I think it's real. But both cannot um, be true. I, I do believe it's real. Okay. Well, it's in, to me, it's, it's kind of interesting because it's like, you know, there's so many of these, you know, clues, breadcrumbs and so on and so forth. Right. Um, that are, that are laid out and it's, you know, nefarious nature to do the things that they're doing, but it's also like this, you know, hint, hint, wink, wink. There's going to be people that are going to wake up, um, because we're just laying out more and more breadcrumbs, right? We're laying out more and more of these pieces and they're doing that on purpose. They're, they're, they're doing it for many reasons, right? A lot of people call, talk about cosmic karma because everything runs on karma. And so they need to protect themselves by doing that. Um, because they do work within a, you know, some, some realm within a, a spiritual understanding, right? And all occultism is, is trying to ascend and trying to get to their spiritual hierarchical point whenever it may be um but it's like there's a great awakening because it, we're being led to understand a great awakening at the same time as being dumped down so being dumbed down but also being told the truth right. we're being lied to at the same time of being told the truth and so it that's where it becomes confusing of of the the the, the point of it it's like what in the fuck is the point if you're giving us all these clues and you're doing all, dropping all these breadcrumbs at the same time that you're pissing on my face. Like, I don't, it w does not compute, does not compute. Like, what, what in the fuck? So one thing to keep in mind, um, is let's, let's talk about the, the computer and the internet. Oh, and God. The, the, the no. <laughs> you know, the PCs, the PCs came in in the 1980s. Um, and then the internet came in around 1990, the World Wide Web. And it was not for our benefit. Uh -huh. DARPA was involved in it. CERN. Absolutely. And, um, but look what it's done. It's yes, allowed the chokehold of information to be broken that if it didn't exist, we wouldn't have any, <laughs> any information. Um, yeah. That would assist us in waking up. So what they meant for control, we've turned into. A, a connector, you know, in a way a, to get this. a controlled connector, though. Well, yes, but considering, like we were talking about, with all the you know the growing community of YouTubers, yes, um, they can't control everybody. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. if you're a really big name, you know, you might might take you down. But um, you know, and my community's growing, but I I don't know why. <laughs> So like I'm, I'm okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, as That's long good. as yeah. I, I will have my voice there as long as I'm able to, but I haven't, you know, it hasn't been an issue. Um, so they can't, I don't think they can, they can't deplatform everybody. They can't censor everybody. 
Yeah. Especially yeah. with more and more people waking up. And then there, there, I guess it's an algorithm or whatever that pushes. If viewers like this, then they like this. And it pushes that same out, you know, algorithm pushes similar content to people who aren't even looking, you know, so there's so many features that are built into it that one way or another word eventually gets out. And um, I just know from the, the reactions that I'm seeing in my own community that people are know something is wrong yeah, and starting to see things in their own communities and question that, you know, and that I'm seeing that more and more. And if they cancel everybody, then they, they, you know, they won't have a platform that will continue to make them monetary uh, advancements. And so that's another part of it. You know, it's, it's (laughs) our curiosity floods their pockets and, uh, so, you know, I'm fine with that. I really am because I, I truly enjoy these moments and I, and I truly enjoy talking with you. Um, I truly enjoy Dan. I love him. We've never even met before. Uh, we, <laughs> we met. You love, I love you. You Dan. really love me? Yes, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, no, I am incredibly grateful. I try not to get too dark. Uh, and so, you know, thank you for, for pulling me out of that because. We could have just, you could have just egged that on and we'd just be like, yeah, that's right. Oh, goodness. It's so terrible. I'm, um, I'm an, op- I'm an, I'm, I really am optimistic. Um, you are, you are, you know, that, that we got this. And I'm not saying it's not going to get weird or worse mm-hmm. <laughs> before it's all, all over. But I, I do believe that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes to, um, to bring about the accountability for the people that that are behind it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, one more <laughs> off-topic question for you. Uh, because we were talking to Gary Wayne recently, and are you familiar with Gary Wayne at all? Uh, he wrote the Genesis 6 conspiracy on the Nephilim. And uh, he talks about how like these Nephilim reptilians are, are, are angels fallen angels or whatever are also the ones that are in control and trying to take us into this transhuman aspect. But one of the interesting things that he said was that the flood happened in like 2400 BC. Now to me, when I think of like the global flood or the deluge, I I think of like uh, the younger driest time period of like 10,000 BC and then try to unravel everything from there. But when he said 2400 and then everything was dispersed and then uh, people all started coming back to their cities and writing stories of, you know, what they had remembered from before or maybe that's and that's why all these stories are the same. And with giving such a earlier date of this deluge. Uh, it it kind of made me start thinking of maybe this mud flood was the the remnants of the destruction of of the global world with this flood and that maybe maybe these things were cities were buried uh and they're pre deluge cities if you go with that 2400 bc uh time period um i'm just curious on your thoughts about that 
what I'm what I'm calling the mud flood, I think happened within the last couple of hundred years. Okay. So if if we're looking at questions about the dating, yeah, um, the chronology that we have, um, you know, it could be referring to the same event, but you know, with oh, different calendrical yeah. systems or something. I mean, was it Noah's oh, yeah. flood? <laughs> I mean, do we really know that it wasn't Noah's that's, flood? That's, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, just that we had this that's, cataclysm. That's something I've always, I've been. Is there is there any dating to these uh, these sites in America that would give us a, an accurate date of when they were possibly built? So, what my response to that is what you find all over North America and it's, it's in pictures within my, my research where you have, it's like the way that it's, the buildings are built. I mean, and they're, they're like Victorian, what we would call Victorian homes or, you know, other buildings. They're just built on this impossible slant. Um, And that's why I bring this up into more modern times is one of the reasons is they're, they're more modern buildings. And they're they're mm-hmm. surrounded by, you know, now it's sod, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, you know it's not level. None okay. of it's level ground, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I I just don't know when they when they did what they did with the timelines and everything and and this event, yeah. you know how, yeah, <laughs> because you can see pictures. Of, of places like Pittsburgh in the early 1900s that are just caked with mud. This is in the early 1900s. Yeah. Um, same thing with Kansas City, Missouri in the 1870s. It's like the place is caked with mud. But if you look at our historical record, we have, you know, the Civil War in the early 1860s. You know, what's this mud doing in Kansas City in 1870 or in Pittsburgh in 1910? I mean, there's something really off about all of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just a bunch of us that are looking at it and going, okay, what's, what does this mean? Yeah. And, and my, and I land on the side of, we, we have been lied to <laughs> a great deal about, mm-hmm. um, about our, our history. No doubt. That's Roman. causing trauma. Roman, any yes. uh, last um, words, sir? I do. I do. One thing that's really fun. Don't anyone forget that fun slogan they came up with in the Vietnam War was make mud, not war. Uh, and that was due to um, us exposing to the public about um, uh, geoengineering tactics used in military. That's just a side note. Fun stuff. Make mud, not war. Um, but if mud is war because the mud flood is, in fact, a war upon our psyches and a war upon our true origins, then wow and just wow. Um, but something that's interesting to me, okay, um, because I think I got style and swag, as some would say. Uh, <laughs> you know, hey, baby. Woo! Uh, so, uh, but something that's interesting to me uh, in history, right, is looking at outfit choices, clothing or costumes, if you will. And the understanding of of uh, human magic, earth and magic, alchemical bonds and such, um, nothing besides jewelry seemed to have any purpose besides just general comfort. Um, and like with occultism being tied throughout everything and different spiritualities all over earth, 
Um, do, in your research, do, when and where were outfits used for like ascension purposes or, or spiritual purposes besides just comfort? That's a good question. <laughs> I'm I'm sure they were. Yeah, you know? I'm sure they were. I just I just Some, don't know yeah how, like yeah. Um, yeah. I where's just the, don't know how they were used. Where's the ancient sweatpants, man? <laughs> You know, I'm thinking like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, Egyptian, uh, you know, deities and different deities, um, having, having this type of use, you know, having that, um, and then, you know, have, you have us modern people in, in, in our garb, um, that, uh, you know, is, is, is beautiful. I love wearing clothes, but when I wear metals and I use metals because I do, um, conduct with metals and copper and silver and crystals and such. And I use them with my, with my magic and my energy and my powers. They're, they're heightened. So somewhere there we will find out. I will find out Michelle and I'll let you know. Uh, and if you could do the same, because for some reason I'm really interested in that. Yeah, I I will. I mean, I I thought of Egypt too when you said that, <laughs> but, right? But I don't know enough about it to to really formulate the um, original transhumanist. Yeah, it's you know <laughs> yeah, they were. It's very really interesting. Everything. I mean, if you look at like the orb and the scepter and the crown mm. of the monarch, I mean, I think those mm. were devices. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, yes. I've heard that and that makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the ruler had these really significant instruments for their that they needed for their rule that were connected somehow to this grid system. Um, how did they work? I'm not really sure, but I I heard that from somebody else and I'm like, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um why don't you tell the good people where they can find you, Michelle? My my website where my blog is is piercingtheveilofillusion.com. And my YouTube channel, if you just type in Michelle Gibson and Moore's after my name, M-O-O-R-S, it'll pop right up. Yes. And I, I, like I said a couple times in this, the YouTube channel is my favorite. I do subscribe to the blog. Um, as our listeners know, I'm quite the uh dyslexic when it comes to truly sitting down and reading so i really really appreciate the visual and audio uh aspect of learning and um and yeah so i'm 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 stoked when is your uh if you don't mind if we can get a little inside tip it's okay if you don't want to answer when's part two of that series coming well, out i'm i'm gonna start the research on that soon because I, nice. I i got my short and sweet out of the way Yep. Um, okay. And I got that. If you watch that, that I brought up some stuff about cemeteries. That's got me yeah. really wanting to do Ooh. more. Yeah. Came out last night. Um, so I'm, I'm going to do the research for that. Uh, and then I realized I probably should do a part three on early radio and TV shows. <laughs> so I think I'm going to do that after I do uh, this one. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and again, I'm I'm going to be looking at at like Nickelodeons and Penny Candy and oh. Dime Museums, the beginnings of Barnum mm. and Bailey and the uh, Daredevils like mm -hmm. Houdini and other people yeah. that were doing these crazy stunts. You know, keeping people up looking up there. You know, how did yeah. they keep people distracted in the early uh -huh. days of this? And I think 
all of this stuff came in to um, lower our vibrational. <laughs> what did you say earlier? <laughs> yeah, lower vibrational. Uh, low vibration. Lower vibration. <laughs> because we're talking, yes. you know, freak shows and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. As they came in, yeah, the, the, the PT Barnum. Yeah. Oh, sorry. There's a little bit of a lag. I hate this. I hate Zoom. It always lags me. <laughs> Go for it, Roman. Oh, I was just, I was, I was actually just kind of commenting in the back. I wasn't even going to make a statement. I don't believe, but okay, as I do, and and then it lagged, and so it was just terrible. And now I'm, now I've just disrupted the entire flow. I'm terribly apologetic. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us today, Michelle. We appreciate it. Uh, lots of good information in this episode for, for the people. Uh, so uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And remember, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes.